Let's pray. Holy Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts this afternoon, that you would give us grace to see and to understand what you are saying to us from your word, that you would give us grace to uh, receive it and to worship you for your good gifts. And we pray that through these things you would accomplish all that you have for us in the days and even the months to come. We pray in the name of Jesus, who makes it possible for us to come to you. Amen. Uh, well, uh, I am the first speaker, and so let me just say uh, welcome to all of you to our very first Beaumont Baptist Church uh, Bible Conference this afternoon. As I was preparing, uh, my son came up to me and said, so, Dad, what is the thing at church? And I said, well, I'm speaking and other people are speaking. He said, are you like running for pastor or something? <laughs> uh, and then my daughter later on came by and said, what is the thing at church? And I said, well, I'm speaking and other people are speaking. We have four sermons. And she said, four sermons. <laughs> and I realized that because we spent so many years in China and because of certain circumstances, uh, my family... Uh, has never been to a Bible conference of any kind. And uh, not since uh, my kids were born. And so you might be in the same situation. And so our goal here uh, is to just, you know, rather than have a sermon and then a week goes by and a sermon and a week goes by, is to uh, occasionally, as the Lord presents opportunities, to take uh, a little bit of time to put uh, a lot of thinking and a lot of reflection into just a couple days, uh, all about one topic. And our topic in this case is spiritual disciplines. It's a great time to think about it. Uh, I noticed as I was buying some exercise equipment uh, that exercise equipment's all on sale this week. Did you know that? <laughs> and, uh, and so it's a good time for us to be thinking about the months ahead and to be thinking about how uh, we want to take advantage of the opportunities of time that the Lord has put into our hands to really turn it uh, for his glory and for our good. And so I'm uh, the first person to speak, uh, and my topic is on the Word of God. It's on the discipline of uh, Bible, Bible intake, we'll call it. And I think it's great for us to start here because... Uh, you know, think about what was said by our Lord. Um, uh, someone came to him, uh, attempting to entrap him, and said to him, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember this? Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor like yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. And uh, so when we think about our what we should prioritize and our kind of goals and our life in the year ahead, we often think of, in terms of the things that we're going to do. Uh, how are we going to express our love for God more? How are we going to love our neighbors more? And if we set as a goal for ourselves in 2024 to love our neighbors more than we did before, 
uh, that would be a fantastic goal. That would be a great goal. Uh, Our Lord said on another occasion that the way that people know that we are actually his students is because we love each other. And so doing that would be a fantastic goal. But I want to suggest to you guys uh, in this very brief little time that I have here that we should put Bible intake in the first place of everything that we consider throughout this whole time together. We're going to talk about Bible reading. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about family devotions and a bunch of other things. And I, I'm going to... I'm going to actually be so bold as to get out in front of everybody else and say that I think that Bible intake has to be the priority in all these things. Not that those other things don't happen or that you pick one. So I picked Bible reading. Dave said it was okay. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that hearing God's word has to have the the central position in all of this. That if our goal is to love our neighbors more, we will not be able to do that without God's word. And if our goal is to pray effectively and worshipfully, we will not be able to do that without God's word. All of us here uh, are believers or at least have spent a lot of time in church. God knows. I don't know all of you well. Um... And so I, I'm, my goal this afternoon is not to kind of like argue that you should read the Bible. Probably you're already on board with that. <laughs> uh, and certainly it's not to say you should read the Bible more because I don't know your life. I don't know what God has provided to you. Saying you should read the Bible more is kind of like saying, you know, I should pray more or I should be nicer to my kids. Like since those things are incredibly important and good things to do. We can get in a position where we always feel guilty because we're not doing the theoretical maximum of, you know, Bible reading and being nice to your kids. For example, don't forget your kids. That would be terrible. (laughs) Sorry about that, guys. You can send your children out to the children's time now. <laughs> they needed to hear that introduction. That's, that's why. Uh, and so, so what I'm saying here is not, I'm not going to say you should read your Bible more because you're not reading your Bible enough. Maybe you, like I, have been in uh, regular you know, annual meetings where everyone gets together and just beats themselves up uh, for an evening or two and feels lousy and then goes home you know, saying, well, I'm terrible again this year because I don't, you know, ever do anything except read the Bible. That's obviously the goal. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is in the, in the time that the Lord provides to you to do what you're going to do, I'm just suggesting that we give the Bible priority. And here's why. And I want to just read four passages, very brief passages, and extract a single thought from each of them. Because as we're thinking about how to, you know, how we're going to arrange our lives, how we're going to arrange our time and our activities, we can think, we can be, we can fall into ways of thinking about the Bible, ways of thinking that are around us, that are present in our world and, and in, you know, people's thinking broadly, 
that could make us devalue the word of God. And so here's, here's the first one. The reason that we should give the Bible the central place is that the word of God is not just a traditional activity. It's not just a religious practice. It's not just a ritual kind of a thing. The word of God is not an empty tradition. It is life. And the first is just a single verse. You can turn here if you want to, or you can just listen to me read it. In Deuteronomy 32, the prophet Moses is summarizing all of the work that God has done in the lives of the Israelites since the time that they've left Egypt. And it's been a while because they left and they got up to the promised land, you remember. And when they got there, they said, no, this is not cool. We don't like this idea. And so God sent them to wander in the desert for a generation until the second generation was prepared to go in. It's been a long time. And so Moses is summarizing everything that's happened and all of the teaching that's occurred. And he uh, that's the time where he gives or, or sings probably, it's hard to say from this distance, the song of Moses, which occupies most of Deuteronomy 32. And it's a long recounting of God's character and his works and his very difficult relationship with his people. And when he gets to the end of that, Moses says in Deuteronomy 32, 47, he's telling them that they need to pay attention to the word of God and the commands that they've received. And he says, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. There's a way of thinking about the Bible that can influence us that says, look, the Bible is really good and it's got all kinds of valuable stuff, um, but it's really old. It's really removed from our circumstances. You know, you open up some of these books and there's all kinds of strange stuff in here that's very remote and things about clothes that priests should wear and sacrifices and kings whose names you can't pronounce and places you never heard of. And really what, like, a little bit of the Bible is fine, but what we really need is to come together. We need to come together and support each other as a community, and we don't really need too much of the Bible. A little, a little bit of the Bible is okay. That kind of thinking is present even in the lives of, of some genuinely converted people. And maybe you know these people. Maybe you have been a person like that at some point. And I want to put before you this truth. This is no empty word for you. This is your very life. I think it's fantastic that we started tonight with the hymn, Speak, O Lord. Because in the very first verse, and that's a wonderful hymn. That's one of my very favorite hymns. Uh, in the very first verse, we, we sing that we want the Lord to speak to us so that our acts of love and our deeds of faith can come out. Why do we need God to speak to us so that we can act out in love and faith? Because otherwise, we don't know what's right. We don't know how to love people without God speaking to us about love. 
We don't know what it means and what it looks like for us to act in faith without God's word speaking to us. This is not an empty word for you. This is your very life. And what you get in God's word, number two, you cannot get anywhere else. The second passage that I want to suggest that we reflect on for just a moment is, is this one. It's here in John 6. Jesus has been teaching, and he has been teaching some extremely demanding and complex stuff. Stuff that is designed by him to put pressure on his listeners, to make them uncomfortable. Jesus is not some kind of, you know, PhD, ivory tower guy who spends all his time reading journals and books in weird other languages and he's forgotten how to talk to normal people. And so then he gets out there and he starts talking about all these complicated things about his, his body and his blood and his flesh. And everyone's like, Jesus, this is super weird. And Jesus says, oh, I didn't realize I wasn't communicating with you. He's doing this intentionally. Because he wants to put some hard truths in front of people to get them to reflect on what they're really there for. And it turns out that a large number of them are sure not there for that. I'll tell you what. And they find something else to do. And when Jesus is left alone at the end of that section with his students in John 6, 68, or just before John 6, 68, he says to them, will you also go away? And Peter in verse 68 answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I want to encourage us to give the word of God the central place in our spiritual disciplines in the year ahead because we cannot get this life anywhere else. We cannot get it anywhere else. We cannot get what we need spiritually from reading some really good devotional or theology books. They might be really good. Maybe you bought them on a recommendation from someone here. (coughs) We cannot get what we need spiritually from listening to a podcast, even like a really good podcast, or from listening to a sermon, or from spending time connecting with other Christian people, or from prayer. It is necessary for us to hear the words of life. There is no other source that gives to us what the word of God gives us. And so for that reason, I encourage all of us, I encourage myself to give the scriptures the central place, the key place in our spiritual devotions. Our third passage draws out this truth. It is the word of God that gives us life 
and not anything other than the word of God. And I don't mean here any other source. What I mean is when things get really hard, we can get to a point where we think, you know, certainly we can be tempted to think all these words don't mean anything anymore. These are just words. The words are fine when things are fine. Words can help us take our confusing relationships and the daily kind of difficulties that we have to wrestle with and smooth them over. But there comes a point where words don't work anymore. Words become just empty noises. Perhaps you've thought that before. All of us are tempted to think that way. But brother and sister, that is not, that is not true. This afternoon we brought a meal to a friend whose father had suddenly died just a couple of days ago. They were supposed to have dinner with us on Friday. Canceled because his father died on Thursday. And here, right here, in this small group of people, we have friends, brothers, and sisters who have dealt with the same thing. People who are on the other end of the equation, looking at medical questions. People who are looking at relationship questions that might completely reformat their lives. Is God's word what we need in those situations or not? I want to just read to you from Deuteronomy again, back to Deuteronomy. This is not the end of Moses' long address, but the beginning. In Deuteronomy 8, and you can read or you can just listen. Moses is speaking to the people. He's about to launch into a long lesson that will unfold, no doubt, over days. But he says this, You shall remember, in verse 2, the whole way that Yahweh your God, the Lord your God, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know or your fathers know. Now, I want to pause here. In a few words, he kind of summarizes, he kind of glosses over the entire history of their time in the desert. But if, if you have been doing the Bible reading on Sunday nights this past semester, or perhaps in your own Bible reading, you're aware that their time in the desert was brutal. This was not some kind of Bible camp gone wrong, you know, with fewer amenities. People had to stand in line for the showers or something like that. People are in the middle of the desert with no water and no food. That is hard, hard times. People are in the middle of the desert surrounded by people that want to kill them. It is these conditions that God permitted his people to go into. And why did he do that? Look at what he says in the conclusion of verse 3. He says that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know that passage, I'm sure, 
from when Jesus himself takes it up centuries later, also in a desert, also under terrible pressure, also facing starvation, also surrounded by enemies. And he had a way out presented to him and he said, no, that's not allowed. I'm not going to do that because my human life is not here only to sustain itself. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And brothers and sisters, when we are faced, and some of us doubtless will be faced in the year ahead with the most severe kind of, of distress and suffering and, and testing that we could deal with. Something where our whole life turns to ash right in front of us. Is God's word really what we need at that moment or does God's word also turn into ashes and blow away? I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that if our minds are prepared with the word of God, it will remain and we can hold on to it. And for that reason, I want to encourage you to give God's word the central place in your spiritual disciplines in the year ahead because it and nothing else, no saved marriage, no saved job, no saved health, no living friends, it alone is life. This is the truth that comes from God to us. And finally, our fourth text I want to reflect on is that the word of God gives life to us through God's gift of faith. God's word is so important for us to read, to reflect on, to be nourished by, to be built up by. But <clears throat> we talked about this just a little bit when we were talking about Jonah earlier this past semester. I want us to reflect on this truth as we think about our spiritual disciplines and how, how we're going to do things and how we're going to read God's word. There is a way of reading God's word that harms us. There's a way of reading God's word that drives us farther from God rather than closer to him. The, nothing could be plainer in the scriptures. I mean, Jonah's one example, clearly. But the New Testament, Jesus' main opponents were people who were masters of the word of God. Had it memorized, back to front. They could sit down. They could write it out. They could quote it. They knew it so incredibly well. And it hurt them instead of helping them. Here's what the, the writer of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 2, he's talking here about the rebellious Israelites in the desert. He's not talking about the Pharisees. But he might as well be talking about the Pharisees. Because <clears throat> both of them are in very similar situations. And he says, good news came to us just as it did to them. But the message that they heard did not benefit them. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And so here's, here's the application that I want to make to us. As we give the first place 
to God's word in our lives in the year ahead, I want to encourage us to remember that we need God's grace every time we open up his word. Every time his word hits our ears, we need God's grace because his word is life, but it is not magic. What's magic? What do I mean when I say magic? Magic is something that works by itself, right? You say the word and the thing happens. You snap your fingers and the thing happens. And there have been many, many, many people throughout the history of the world who have treated God's words as though they were magic. Where I know that God accepts me because one time I read this prayer. So you can't tell me that I need anything spiritually because look, I read it, I, I wrote it in this Bible. See, it says right there, there's the date. I am hell proof. So don't talk to me about my life right now. Or people who did something similar in a church, you know, a priest told me that I should recite these prayers and I recited them. I said those words, I said them 150 times and now God has forgiven me for what I did. So you don't need to bring it up anymore. I said the words. There's a way of, of treating God's word as though it works by itself. And if we just memorize the sentences and we just get the, the phrases in place and we say them, that that's, that's all, that that's all we need. That the words themselves become a kind of armor for us. And now we don't need to do anything else. God's people in ancient times were vulnerable to exactly the same problem. Maybe you remember Jeremiah uh, prophesying against the people and saying, how can you say to them, here we are in the temple of the Lord. You know, God's temple is here. We're protected. No one can conquer Jerusalem because God's temple is here. The temple is like a magic shield that keeps everybody away. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. And Jeremiah says, you've turned my my house, he's speaking for God, into a den of thieves. Words that Jesus would take up in the same way much later. So I want to encourage us to take this as a, a, a key consideration. We need God's words to keep our actions from turning into corruption. Right? Without God's words to guide us, we don't know how to love our neighbors. We don't know how to love God. We, we can't stay on the path that we want to be on without God's words. We need God's words to keep our actions from turning into corruption. But we need God's grace to keep our contact with his word from turning into corruption. We need to come to God's word every time that we come to it reaching out to God for his grace. Not reading it to congratulate ourselves. Not reading it to avoid dealing with the things that we know God wants us to deal with. Like, well, that might be an issue, but I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to read the Bible because God likes me to read the Bible. When I read the Bible, I don't have to think about that thing maybe I should do. So, Bible reading time. When we come to God's word, we need to come to it humbly, asking for his grace 
to take his words and make them what he intends them to be, true life within us. This is why I think we should take God's word and put it in the central place in the spiritual disciplines that we have in the years ahead, in the year ahead. Now, I want to shift gears here and just make it super practical. Okay? Why should God's word have its central place? That's what I've been talking about. But I just want to briefly uh, give some practical thoughts on how how to uh, get God's word. Because when I say I want us to give God's word central place, I think that's what we should do. What that means is just that we need enough time, that we need space to hear God's word. And so here are seven ways that we can take God's word in, in the year ahead. Because really, you could do it anywhere. The Bible is full of comments like this about psalmists, in, in Psalm 63, he's staying up late at night with God's word. In Psalm 119, he's getting up early in the morning. Some Psalms, he's with God's word by himself. Some Psalms, he's with God's word with other people. Uh, in in uh, Deuteronomy 11, it talks about how uh, the, the law should be with God's people when they're in their house and when they're out and when they're working, when they're sitting down and when they're standing up. So like all that's fair game. Let's make it practical. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is to read the Bible because God in his grace has made you literate. Isn't that fantastic? And it is because most of God's people historically have not been literate. So you should be grateful for that and you should use your literacy to read the Bible. (coughs) There's a lot of ways to read the Bible and my general encouragement is to do two things. To read the Bible, not the same way all the time. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe last year you read through the whole Bible from cover to cover. Great. Uh, consider reading through the Bible uh, chronologically. Now you can go out and get a chronological Bible reading plan. Read the whole Bible in order of the events that they occurred. That will put a lot of things in slightly different places. Some in very different places. That's great. Do that. If you've never done it before, do it. Why? Because it will help you think about God's word from a new perspective. To keep it from falling into a narrow channel of habit. The, the habit of reading God's word is there. Great. But your experience within that channel is different. Um, if you've never read a, a Bible that puts together, a Bible reading plan that puts together different parts of God's word, uh, there's a very popular old Bible reading plan called the Robert Murray McShane plan which has you read the Old Testament once in a year and the New Testament twice, and it slices it all up so that you're reading different parts of this, a little Old Testament, a little New Testament every day. Our pastor in the church that we attended many years ago, when we lived in the States, he was like, just wanted everyone to do that. It was great. So we did it, and it was great. Have you ever done that before? You haven't? Try that. My second recommendation, first one is read the Bible in some way that you haven't done it a thousand times already. My second recommendation is read the Bible from a translation that you haven't read a thousand times already. Whenever you're translating anything, there are some translations that focus on being as close as possible to the original languages. If you're translating from Chinese into French, some translation will sound a lot more like Chinese 
And the French is a little awkward, but you're really getting the Chinese flavor. And then some focus on being a lot like French, and it, you lose some of the Chinese distinctives, but it makes sense in French, and it's very readable. Bible translations are the same. Some focus on the structures of the original language, but it makes for awkward English. Some focus on natural expression in English, because obviously the original audience has heard it in a very natural sense, but you lose some of the nuances of the original language. Which of these is the best one? Yes. <clears throat> I, I think it's really ideal for all of us to read God's word in different translations. Um, and I use several daily, almost daily. Um, and so I would encourage you, have you always read the Bible out of the NIV? Great, why not try reading something that sticks more closely to the original? Try reading it in NASB, very, very structural. English a little bit awkward, but you're going to notice some things that you never noticed before, and vice versa. Have you never read anything but the, the New King James Version? Go get yourself a New Living Translation. There is, there is a lot of good for you in that. First recommendation, read the Bible because you can read. Second one, listen to the Bible. Uh, do you have times in your day when you can't uh, do anything in particular except, you know, use your body? Maybe you're driving. Maybe you're sitting on the train. Uh, I had a friend in, in a seminary who was a triathlete, and she trained huge chunks of time. She would spend in the pool and on the treadmill, and she would put her waterproof headphones in and, you know, jump in the pool, and she'd spend an hour and a half in the pool uh, listening to the Bible. That's a great way to listen to the Bible. You don't have to do that every time. I mean, if you're always in the pool, I'm not saying you have to listen to the Bible every time, but it could be useful for you. Third thing, reading the Bible, listening to the Bible, studying the Bible. What is studying the Bible? What makes it different? Well, when I say reading the Bible, I'm saying that we're sitting down with the Bible and we're kind of going over a large section of it. We're, we're trying to read through the entire Bible. We're heading toward the end, straight line. Studying the Bible is when you don't do that. <clears throat> studying the Bible is when you, you read the Bible slowly and you write some things down. That's my definition, my very precise definition of studying the Bible. Read slowly and write some things down. Um, have you ever read from a study Bible? If not, that could be a great way to do it. There are tons of good study Bibles out there, some better than others, but I know Pastor Nate will have lots of recommendations and other people do as well. Get a good study Bible, read it, read the notes, write your own notes in the margins. That's a fantastic experience. Again, my pastor when we lived in the States, uh, would encourage everyone who had never done so to get this like wide margin inductive study Bible. And he would say, you should just fill it up with notes. And uh, it's a great exercise. Um, other ways to, to study the Bible. Uh, one is to just keep a Bible journal with you as you read. And to read and end your reading time and then write for five or six minutes so that you have a little Bible reflections journal that goes with your book. Uh, one way is to uh, study a book of the Bible. Pick a book of the Bible. Pick a book like <clears throat> Romans or uh, like uh, the Gospel of John or whatever, whatever book. Any book is good. 
and read it 10 times. And uh, go a little bit slow, write notes every time. You know, every time you read, write some stuff down. When you get to the end, go back to the beginning again. And try to fill in more and more. What's the big idea? What are some of the recurring themes? What, why does God have this book here in the Bible? What's he saying? Um, you get a, a, a list of uh, verses, key verses on a topic. If you've never uh, tried anything like that before, think of a topic that you want to learn on and go to a Bible website like Bible Gateway. Bible Gateway is huge. It has tons of stuff on there. <clears throat> you could just search for all the verses on, on the Holy Spirit. You could learn about the Holy Spirit. Just print that list of verses out. <clears throat> spend some time reading and writing, taking notes. That's a good way. Read the Bible. Listen to the Bible. Study the Bible. Fourth one, read the Bible together. In other words, not just by yourself, but read the Bible with other people. Read the Bible with your family. And we're going to have uh, a whole message that will include this. So I don't want to say too much. But I will say one thing, just one. The goal of doing this, the basic goal, is to do something instead of nothing. That would be fantastic. People sometimes look at family devotions and think, oh man, it's so tough. Like my kids are just, and my schedule, it's really brutal. I, I hear you, brother. If you could just do just one thing instead of zero things, that would be a like mathematically, we cannot express how great the improvement is from zero to one. <clears throat> and so if you just read a verse with your family over dinner, that would be a great improvement. Oh, we don't have dinner together. Over breakfast, we don't have breakfast together. Whenever you do have dinner together, just read a verse. But when you put your kids to bed, right? Read a couple verses to your kids and, and do a quick prayer before you go to bed. That would be hugely better than nothing. I don't have kids. When you go to bed, read a verse to your wife. I don't have a wife. When you brush your teeth, okay, then you're not together with other people. Read it to your cat. I don't know. <clears throat> Reading the Bible with other people is a wonderful exercise. In fact, it's so wonderful that we do it here in our church. Join a Bible reading group. Uh, that would be great. That's a great way to do it. Read the Bible Study the Bible, listen to the Bible, read the Bible together. Next one, I would encourage you to consider memorizing the Bible. Memorizing the Bible is just reading small parts of the Bible out loud again and again until you can throw the paper away. That's all that is. Uh, Bible verses are good. Bible paragraphs are way better. And I was privileged to be part of a, a Bible study group that had paragraphs. And they said, we're going to try to, we're studying this book and we're going to learn a key paragraph from this book. And so we had a whole, you know, 10 verses, 15 verses that all went together and expressed the central message of that book. Man, that is a great way to do it. And you just have to put it up somewhere where you'll see it. Say it every day. That's the whole goal. So put it next to your toothbrush. Uh, tape it to the outside of your shower door. Um, you know, put it as the lock screen on your phone. So every time you open up your phone, there it is. And just say it out loud. When you see it, just say it. And you'll be all set in no time. I have been tremendously blessed. I'll just comment from my own experience. Through someone else's practice, we did this when we were in Shanghai. They were doing this Bible memory thing. And they had a, we learned a, a paragraph. It was about 10 or 15 verses every semester. And it was always a single paragraph that came out of the word. 
<clears throat> we did that there for years. If I look back at my time in Shanghai on the single most beneficial spiritual experiences that I had, those Bible memory paragraphs are close to the top. The value of having complete thoughts, significant thoughts that come from God's word that are permanent bricks in your mind that you can just go back and you can quote to yourself in difficulty or in quiet moments, it really cannot be overstated. Consider memorizing some of the scriptures. It is not as hard as it may seem and it will bear dividends. Uh, six one, pray the Bible. When you come to your prayer time, open up your Bible to a psalm. Open up your Bible to a prayer, one of the prayers, maybe in the New Testament, maybe <clears throat> one of the prayers of the kings or something like that, and pray that prayer back to God. This is a wonderful way for transforming your own prayers to fall more into the way that God calls us to pray. Can't do it every time, but it's really useful. Pray the Bible and finally consider if you are doing singing or you're thinking about doing some singing for part of your spiritual disciplines, I don't know if our brother will talk about that, consider singing the Bible. You get yourself a Psalter. The Psalter is just the Psalms in a way that we can sing them in English. And sing through a Psalm whenever you're going to do it. Uh, in our church before, we used the Psalter. And it's a wonderful resource. I love hymns, but... There's no replacement for using the Psalms to express yourself musically and to really grapple with the emotions that are there. You can read a Psalm and keep some distance between it and you, right? You can't sing a Psalm and distance yourself from it very well. And so I'd encourage you to think about that. If you don't sing, then maybe that's for someone else. But if you're going to think about singing, sing, sing the scriptures. Every single thing <clears throat> that you want to accomplish in your spiritual disciplines this year will require the Bible in order to give it clarity and power, whatever you're doing. So I want to encourage all of us to give the word of God the central place as we pursue him this year. Let's pray.